Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God today. Thanks be to God. What is written in the law, Jesus asks. And we should be grateful to Jesus here because when he talks about what is essential to eternal life, he never says that we have to have our theology all perfectly sorted out. Thank God, Jesus or that we can't have questions or doubt about our faith, or that we have to subscribe to four neat and tiny, tidy spiritual laws that pave the way to salvation. Now, Jesus speaks of an inheriting eternal life, and he, he generally gives us things that are doable and manageable and achievable things. 
the sort of stuff that like you can actually go and do in your life like even today like you could do this between noon and 6 p.m. today today Luke tells us that there's this attorney a lawyer doing what lawyers do I have some lawyers here I've learned um, and they stand up and they put Jesus to the test and the case being tried is now the case of eternal life this lawyer demands to, to know what what must we do to attain eternal life and Jesus being used to legalists trying to pin him down for one thing or another Jesus deflects the question with another question well you've passed the the bar exam what's written in the law and the lawyer answers well it says you are to love the Lord your God and you are to love your neighbor as yourself and Jesus says that's right yes so go do this and you will live and the attorney is just not satisfied with this answer from Jesus and so he calls for a point of clarification from Jesus the God part he gets he totally gets the God part he understands what God's asking him to do for God what is written in the law remember that this is just Jesus's cryptic rewording of the question before it what must I do to inherit eternal life and well to love God but then it says you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. And this lawyer says, I get the God part of it. But Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? Attorneys love to ask good questions. And, and Jesus, while being the good preacher that he is, not the attorney, but the preacher, when explaining the truth and trying to get the point across, Jesus, well, he launches into a story takes you a little while to follow that story. I'm sure that's like, you know, sometimes listening on Sunday mornings here. Um, trying to figure out where the story's gonna end, where is it taking me? Now I have to admit that when considering which of Jesus's 168 questions to include in this series, I have to admit that I, I almost left this one out. I, it was kind of a last minute tuck into the series, honestly. Um, because this story is so familiar to us that most of us, I know, I do, kind of just start glazing over when we read it. We know that time when, when, the, when the Levite went on his own way and great story, oh, but the Good Samaritan, good story, go and do likewise, right? And even folks who haven't attended church since they were like 10 years old in Miss Bell's Sunday school class, right? They know this story. It's one of the ones you remember. And so I almost left it out. Um, I've, I've preached on it too many times, I've thought. I've read, maybe I've read it too many times, but I thought I preached on it too many times. And then I decided to go and look, to do, like go back over the last seven years at Kingstown to look, like how many times have I actually preached? on the Good Samaritan. And come to find out, I've only preached one time on it in seven years. Only once before. Now, that is, that's the thing about avoiding passages. We know that we know because we eventually stop knowing them, right? And so perhaps it's when stories seem so familiar that they deserve another look. And what grabbed me this time through, and I felt like I read it all the time. That's what it felt like, but I, 
I really haven't. And to be honest, you think pastors are reading the Bible like front to back every day, but we're doing a lot of reading to prepare for the particular week at hand. And so I probably have not read this scripture truly since the last time I preached on it. What grabbed me this time, though, was not that the Samaritan helped this guy. Not that the priest didn't and the Levite didn't help this guy, but that the Samaritan took a risk on someone else. Like, sure, he helped someone else. But maybe the point isn't that that he stopped to help, but maybe it's just that he took a risk that others would not take. It's always a risk, right, when we let our lives get mixed up in the messiness of someone else's life. We risk a lot when we do that. And then, then something else struck me. Where are the robbers? You ever ask that question? Where are the robbers? Where, like, how come we have no record of the Samaritan pausing to consider that the robbers could still be on the loose right around the the next bend. I don't know if anybody else followed the Alec Murdoch trial (laughs) situation in South Carolina. I've been invested far more than I should be over the last few months. I got sucked in through a documentary podcast, did me in, but um, that was one of the questions, right, that led to the conviction in this, this murder case. Why didn't he ever seem like he was worried that the so-called murderers were still on the loose? In the case of Alex Murdoch, it was suspicious because it seemed he knew there were no murderers actually to be found, right? Um, but what about this Samaritan? Why didn't he wonder, worry about the robbers? The, bl- the blood's still fresh. The guy just got there. He didn't know where the robbers were. Maybe they were hiding in the ditch on the other side of the road or hanging out ar- around the next bend, n- not knowing where the robbers are, fearing the worst. The easy way out would be to keep everything at arm's length to stay safe to stay on the other side of the road don't don't get involved mind your own business let somebody else dive into into their messiness of life but the samaritan instead he gets involved and he gets mixed up in in someone else's life a life that's not his own he takes a risk beyond his own comfort and he and beyond his own fear of the unknown, right? And, and that leaves me now thinking that the priest and the Levite, maybe we give them a really bad rap. Maybe the priest and the Levite didn't, didn't stop, not because they were too busy or too self-righteous, but because they were just afraid. They didn't want their lives to change, right? They didn't want, they didn't want to know what would, have, what would be required of them. They didn't want to have to head in a whole new direction and change the course of their day. They didn't want to have to get involved. Life is so much easier when we don't get involved in the messes of other people. 
Maybe it was disease lying in the gutter. Perhaps it, it would require more than just calling an ambulance, but riding to the hospital with him afterwards and covering his medical bills after, finding some food and shelter for him. That's a lot that could happen. And if we're honest, most of us in our, our relegation of this passage to just a good story, we've chalked the Samaritan up to really just being kind of a naive fool, right? Because if everyone followed his example, we would all soon be half dead and, and at the mercy of robbers. The only appropriate model of engagement with issues of social deprivation, right, is that, the, is that of the priest and the Levite who acted with dignity and forbearance, but didn't really get involved. We tend to honor people of, of the, like the priest and the Levite, right, of their caliber, who establish careful codes of conduct and respect the privacy of individuals and follow health and safety regulation to the letter and do not take risks that conflict with their roles. But this is what makes our society what it is today. And studies say that, that the society we've made is lonelier and more isolated and more depressed than it's ever been before. And it's a society in which forces seem keen on keeping us apart from each other. Good fences are what make good neighbors, right? We live lives that seek to reduce our risk of involvement with one another. And, and, and with all our progress, we have become trapped by our own fear, the fear of involvement, the fear of risking our lives on someone. It was in 1942 that Clarence Jordan, this young New Testament scholar, read this passage, this parable of the Good Samaritan. And now you, when you and I read this, we come up with all kinds of creative interpretations and rationalizations to keep us from doing what Jesus um, actually says, to keep us from getting involved. But Jordan, he, he read the Bible and actually believed he was supposed to go and, and actually do it. And so Jordan formed a Christian community there in rural Georgia in night in into the late 50s, early 60s, where African Americans and white people would live together, would learn, would learn to be good listeners and good neighbors to one another, to be in community with one another, to live together. And when, when Jordan was asked how he overcame his fears and all, all the barrage of attacks and persecution he got and the threats on his own life and his family and on his friends, Jordan said, Fear is the polio of the soul that keeps us from living by faith. Well, it was in 1969, the year that, that Jordan died, that, that this little interracial Christian community in America's Georgia began a housing development, a program that we all know today as Habitat for Humanity. How, how different from most of our own lives, that is. Our modern mantra, don't get, don't get attached. I'll mind my own business and, and you mind your own business too, right? And, and as we have become less and less 
and less involved with one another's lives, we as people have become more and more and more isolated. Risk used to be exciting and adventurous, but we have, we have reduced it to like best-selling board games, something to, to play, to detach from, admire and analyze from a distance, but not, it seems, not like Jesus says to live. So the lawyer from Luke's gospel would fit in well in our times, right? He doesn't get, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He wants to engage Jesus in a question and answer dialogue, a heady debate about theology. What is eternal life? He asks, but Jesus won't be the subject to be debated through in philosophy 101. Jesus deflects the question, well, what is written in the law? Jesus says, life, life, is this life is this story go and take a risk and cross the road go be a neighbor to someone else especially someone who is up against the wall who is poor lonely hurting we might even discover a bit of healing in from our own loneliness when we do this theologian jurgen mortman said this the opposite of poverty is not property the opposite of, of both of them is community. The Levite and the priest went on down the road, on their, on their side of the road, isolated and alone, but the Samaritan took the risk and in the process found the cure for his own loneliness and he found, he found community. Jesus says, in fact, he found life. And why does this matter? Why does it matter that, that risk rather than comfort be embedded in our Christian journey? Because this is what Christianity claims about the way God relates to us. God does not stay away up there in some heavenly fortress, right? Thinking about humanity, wondering if we ever get it right or sign over the mess we've made of the world or of our lives. God crosses the road and opens the circle God takes a risk on us and, and, and rushes towards us. And when we, when we celebrate every single week the sacrament of Holy Communion here, when we celebrate this, we believe that Jesus is not, is not only retelling this story again, but is, is playing the, the Samaritan's leading role in this worship space and in our lives. An outsider coming to us wrapped up in the disguise of bread and wine. Jesus is, is taking a risk on us, pushing, pushing his way into our lives, getting down in the ditch with us, right here at this table. Getting down in the ditch with all who are wounded and hurting, coming to us in flesh and in blood inviting us to get involved with him again. And now here at Kingstown, communion is rather formal affair, right? I mean, as formal as it can be in a, in a high school. Um, but it's a rather formal affair. We, you know, we get in a line, and the band plays some, some beautiful music as we rotate out of our seats in an orderly fashion. But um, everyone's polite here, you know, steady. No one gets up before I say those inviting words, and God forbid I don't say them, right? Y'all just stand looking at me like you have no idea what, what we do every week. But, um, 
a close colleague of mine uh, recently, was actually my best friend from seminary, she recently took a trip to Honduras. Um, and at the end of that trip, she says they all gathered on a Sunday morning for this final worship service of the week in, in this dusty little community chapel on the, on the hill. And she, she said she was just in awe. She was shocked. Because after the pastor there said, the prayers over the meal, blessed the elements, and invited people forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus. These people who had next to nothing, whose lives were filled with so much hardness and so much messiness and pain that most of us can only imagine, they clambered forward in mass, no lines, no order, no ushers to the front, just like, like running to Jesus. And, and when they get to the pastor and put out their hands, it's like they just were like clinging on to the bread, clinging on to it as if someone had placed like a million dollars in their hands and they just like they're cupping it in their palms as if the secret of life, the answer to that question, how might I inherit eternal life, what is written in the law itself had been like given to them, handed to them in their hands. And she said she just sat there in the back, like this first world pastor, <laughs> watching this disorderly thing, watching, taking it in from a, from a, a distance on the sidelines. And as she watched her Honduran siblings in, in faith rushing forward in spite of everything, staking their lives on the body and blood of Christ, she thought to herself, like, I, I, would, give, I would give my right arm for a faith like that. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you as people who, uh, part of what's gathered us here in D.C. metro area often is our, is our particular set of expertise and skills um, that lend itself well to orderliness. <laughs> um, and we are a part of this church because though we like to get a little out of the box, we also want it to be... Uh, well-ordered. We, we want to know what the service is going to be like from beginning <laughs> to end. Um, and we would like to believe that by even being a part of this church is taking a risk. Um, but, but God, the risk, the risk you asked us to take are so much more than getting up on Sunday morning, even though it's daylight savings. <laughs> it's so much more than that. God, if we, we admit that we, we often besides coming here, have barricaded ourselves away from the world and from, from others and, and really are so focused on our own lives. And, and often we just can't with others because we just have no bandwidth. But God, we know that you call us because you poured yourself out for us. You call us to pour ourselves out for others. And so we just take a second, God, and we take stock in our lives. We soak it in and take stock in our lives of where you are calling us to be right now. Because where we are individually here, we're going to just in a pause and the silence here and think, who is our neighbor?
uh, whoever it is that came to mind, and maybe, maybe we haven't figured it out yet, but whoever it is that came to mind, wherever that might be, God, we don't just pray that you would use us. We pray that that might be a vehicle of healing for our own loneliness and isolation. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who for us was our greatest good Samaritan, taking a risk on us, who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.